Welcome to the One Hoss Podcast. I'm your host, Ellen, and I'm joined by our guest, Sally Jan, today. Sally is the VC at SAP and the head of SAP.io Foundry New York. SAP.io is a corporate venture arm of SAP, which is a publicly traded enterprise software company. Super excited to have you on, Sally. Thanks, Ellen. Thanks for having me today. Can you share with our listeners your background and your origin story? Sure. I am originally from California and went to Berkeley. Go Bears. I know my title includes, <laughs> includes New York now, but my origin story is I immigrated to the U.S. when I was five years old from Beijing. My parents and I immigrated here uh, as my dad was a leader in the uh, revolution movement back in the Tiananmen Square events in 1989. So we moved here when I was very young and both my parents are educators. So they were both professors. They met at the university that they taught at. And when we got here, we basically had to start from scratch and we landed in Southern California. And I got to observe my parents working very hard, full-time jobs, and also going to school, getting retrained and re-educated in the American um, education system. As a child, seeing them going through uh, schooling as well as them having these academic backgrounds really ingrained in me the importance of education. And I landed myself at Berkeley. And at Berkeley, I realized I wanted to be a business major. I wanted to be uh, in Haas and ultimately have a, a successful career that I could be proud of, make my family proud, and also find financial stability and success because I had grown up with such a humble beginning. Luckily, I got into the Haas undergraduate program, found a calling in investment banking mm -hmm. out of college, <laughs> if you can call it a calling, and really landed in technology, TMT investment banking at Morgan Stanley. And that was a great launch pad for my discovery of technology and Silicon Valley and the startup world. And I would say that's really how I began my career. Just out of curiosity, what was your parents' area of focus since they're educators? My parents, I like to say, have a good blend of yin and yang. They're very <laughs> different personality-wise, and uh, they also taught very different disciplines and majors at their university. My mom is mm -hmm. an accountant, and wow. my father still teaches history liberal studies, international business. So I like to say they gave me and instilled in, in me both the right side of my brain and the left yeah. side of my brain. I assume it was a really tough transition to the States when you were so young. Do you have any recollection of that? Or was that a little too early for you to remember? I do, of course, have some recollection, uh -huh. and it's really funny now because mm -hmm. I observe the difference between my upbringing and the upbringing of the kids that I, I see now, and it's very different. 
I went to public schools my whole mm-hmm. life because that's what my parents could afford um, mm-hmm. at the time. I didn't have a lot of re- a lot of resources for extracurriculars, and mm-hmm. that was fine. Like I ended up just playing in the dirt, rollerblading the yeah. streets, and figuring it out myself. Luckily, is independent enough to be disciplined around school and mm-hmm. have a good balance of play and and work and study yeah. and that is very different from what i observe with kids today that yeah are going to private schools from age three mm-hmm. <laughs> and being assessed based on very limited actual observation and being placed into different schools at a young age and having this really competitive environment around them Mm -hmm. and I don't know what the right blend is of education and extracurriculars for kids but I think that you need to have a balance and somewhere in between what I'm seeing today and what I grew up with is probably you know the right balance. For students who might not be in the private school environment what resources mentality you think helped you when you were growing up? What was really crucial in my development was I was in the best, some of the best public school districts Mm -hmm. growing up. And my parents, even though they couldn't afford the private school's tuition, they were able to relocate and move around to attend some of these best public schools. And having that setting was very important because that put me in schools where there were programs for honors or Mm -hmm. advanced placement courses that you might not see at all the public schools, right? So having the curriculum there, having peers around me that had similar families who cared about their education, who were more competitive, who did challenge me, that was very important. There are a lot of free or low-cost resources, and they keep growing. For example, in New York City, where I reside, there are so many organizations, nonprofits that are focused on low-income communities or underserved communities, and their sole focus is around STEM or education or uplifting youth in those communities. I myself have been a volunteer and sat on some of the young professional boards of organizations like EPICS, which is an organization for low-income Asian Americans in Mm -hmm. New York City, Children's Scholarship Foundation, and a couple of others. So even if you don't grow up with a lot of resources, there are plenty of opportunities and things that you can find that can help you at low or no cost. Have you always been interested in finance or was that an interest developed during your time at Haas? No, I was not always interested in finance. (laughs) I went to Berkeley because I knew I wanted to be a business major, and Mm -hmm. Berkeley has the top 
undergraduate business program in all of California, that was a big factor for why I decided to go to Berkeley. And while I was there, we call it the ABCs. I don't know if you right. young alumni still yeah. call it that. <laughs> but back when I was at Berkeley as an undergrad, the three routes for Haas yeah. were accounting, banking, and consulting. Mm-hmm. Now I know there's a lot of tech opportunities too right. that's probably just as heavyweighted. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I chose banking because I was good at math. Mm-hmm. And I knew that it would be high paying <laughs> enough. Uh-huh. Thirdly, it would provide a good foundation for whatever mm-hmm. path I decided afterwards. Yeah. And that's the, the beauty of going to college is you can take a plethora of courses. You can take things that are not even business. You can, I took music class for American culture as prerequisite. I, I really encourage everyone who is still in school that you should explore as much as you can Mm -hmm. because college is one of the only times that you will be able to do this ever ever again yeah Yeah. (laughs) unless you go back and you have a career change but if you're really set in the business side of things Mm -hmm. college is a great time to explore other avenues and it's not necessarily just coursework Right. You can also explore extracurriculars, join clubs, join fraternities, join organizations, yeah. and talk to alumni, take on some internships, figure out what resonates with you, and start looking at ways to pursue that. And you know, when I graduated, there were more stable paths, and now you can become an entrepreneur, you can really Mm -hmm. pursue a lot of different outlets. So I encourage everyone to, to do that. Luckily for me, finance as an interest in college and thinking that it was a good path, eventually led me to some great opportunities and did allow me to pursue a lot of my passions. But I was also lucky in landing in finance in Silicon Valley. So I was very lucky in the sense that I felt in the right industry in finance as well. After investment banking, which probably gave you a good foundation in the finance world, what led you to decide the venture capital and growth equity space? After investment banking, I knew that I had a couple of budding interests. I was at Morgan Stanley Technology Investment Banking on Sand Hill Road. That was very formative for me in terms of steering me into the technology industry. And when I was working those 100 plus hour analyst Mm -hmm. weeks, sitting in front of a PowerPoint, formatting, wasn't my favorite part of the job. My favorite part of the job was actually attending the meetings, going with the senior bankers to the actual customer facing Mm -hmm. events and sitting there and observing everything they had to say about the industry insights or the advice that they were giving the startups, the actual trends, learning about the actual business models and 
the people that are in this industry that are extremely passionate about what they're doing and what they're building. I love yeah. that experience. And it was limited in investment banking as a junior banker. Right. So I decided that I wanted more of that. And so I wanted to be in an industry where I would get more exposure to that. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I realized that would be somewhere in the venture capital, growth equity space. And I was lucky enough to have an opportunity to work at General Atlantic after banking where when I relocated to New York mm-hmm. and got more of that exposure, but then also realized I had been in these finance two plus two kind of roles were right. two years of analyst program, two years of associate program. And I didn't really want to have this conventional path. So I mm-hmm. decided to work at a small startup after General Atlantic and experience from the other side of the table what it felt yeah. like to be an operator. And from there, I was able to land my first venture capital role mm-hmm and have been in venture capital since then. And so there isn't always a clear cut path, especially to roles in venture capital and technology, because a lot of what they value is your operator experience, your ability to work with teams and entrepreneurs and to think of creative ideas. And you can come from a number of paths to get there mm-hmm. but if you figure out what you really are passionate about then you can start plotting out that path to get there yeah obviously there's no straight path would you say the operator experience was quite impactful in, in terms of adding to your career and your knowledge base The operator experience is definitely helpful Mm -hmm. for venture capital. You see more VCs, especially senior VCs, ones that are brought in as operating partners or venture partners. Their background is working in operator roles or they have some kind of deep technical background. Many of them didn't start out in finance at all. Right. It's definitely very valuable because Anyone can write a check, anyone can go network and meet people, but the real value in working with portfolio companies at a VC or a PE firm is your ability to add value to their Mm -hmm. business and to help them scale. The idea is you're bringing this company from an earlier stage or a certain stage and you want to bring ROI back into the business and back into your firm. So being able to talk the talk with them, understand what the startups are going through, understanding Mm -hmm. the business development aspect, the go-to-market aspect, the ability to work with customers, the ability to sell and market and to work with them through different cycles of their business enables you to move the needle with that company. So it is very important to be able to understand and guide the startups that you work with. And so if you have the opportunity to start your career as an operator, if you work as a junior you know, finance 
person and you have opportunity to go work at one of your portfolio companies to shadow them, I would take all of those opportunities as much yeah. as I can. Personally, I'm at SAP now and mm-hmm. it is a blend of operator experience plus venture capital experience. Yeah. And I observe every single day how our account sales teams go out there to pursue customers and how our customers are thinking about their problems and their needs and working closely with customers. It is a really good way to enhance your ability as an investor or if you're on the financial services side to get that that experience. Great transition to your role at SAP.io. We'd love to hear about investment areas you're passionate about, the goal of the organization. Um, Yeah. SAPIO is part of SAP. We're the corporate innovation and venture capital arm of SAP. Within SAPIO, we have two groups. We have our venture capital fund and we have our global foundries. The venture capital fund is a fund that's off of the SAP balance sheet where we primarily invest in seed and series A startups. Our global foundries are our accelerator programs that are in nine geographies throughout the world where we do not take equity. And so this hybrid model of being able to accelerate and fund with equity and without equity has really given us a lot of opportunity to work with different types of startups. In just three years' time since SAPIO launched, we now have over 200 portfolio companies. And all of the companies that we work with are enterprise software companies. So in terms of investment areas and <laughs> industry, I'm most passionate about when it comes to this tech space is definitely enterprise software. Yeah, I'm not just saying that because I work at SAP, but I truly <laughs> do love enterprise tech. In my previous firm, I did work with consumer-facing, direct-to-consumer, uh-huh. companies that made beauty products or right. electronic pro- products. And what I really like about B2B and enterprise is that you're not at the whim of crazy consumer behavior or Mm -hmm. trends or pay to play to acquire all of your customers and infuse all of your funding into customer acquisition. I don't necessarily love that about where some of these consumer industries are going. Of course, there are outliers. There are companies that are truly amazing businesses like Allbirds, for example. There's something really there that resonates. But for me, I don't think that I quite have the interest in the consumer side as much, but on the enterprise side, a lot of the companies we work with have wonderful, sophisticated technology and products that you take a look, you do the product diligence, and Mm -hmm. you can tell it might be a game changer for an entire industry. And that entire industry spans the gamut from the executives at that company that are making decisions to buy this product that think that this product is going to help them drive sales, reduce costs, enable better customer experience, 
all the way down to the end user who might be now able to experience entirely new interface or environment where they are using this product and it can change their lives too. So I love that it can really move the needle for so many different stakeholders. Mm-hmm. I think the business models are really interesting. It's very strategic about how you price a product, how you sell. Right. The enterprise sales cycle is extremely long, but mm-hmm. if you're able to figure out the right playbook, it's also really interesting and rewarding for the company and, and anyone involved in helping them along that way in, uh, in that journey. SAP, we have over 400,000 enterprise mm-hmm. customers. We play in dozens of different industries. So when it comes to, to enterprise software and enterprise startups, this has been a great organization for me to explore Mm-hmm. So many different types of companies. I'm looking at companies in next generation retail to future of work to yeah. circular economy to industry 4.0. Having the ability to explore all of those verticals within enterprise is also very rewarding for me. Given that there's no equity involved, how do you, you know, determine the right fit when you talk to companies for Foundry? With a lot of CVCs, corporate venture capital Mm -hmm. teams, they are guided by the parent company Mm -hmm. and the parent company's strategy. For us, SAPIO, that's no different. We're part of corporate strategy within SAP. And we have a lot of guidance from the executives at SAP. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of information that's being fed to us by different industry teams and product teams. And what we look at is their core business software. And Mm -hmm. is there an opportunity to work and partner with SAP? Mm -hmm. Even if we're not investing at the foundry level, we are really creating these partnerships that are long-term and very forward thinking for SAP. SAP is a company that is over 40 years old and Mm -hmm. we have a lot of of our our staple technologies that are used throughout the world. Right. And we have a lot on our roadmap, but there's also things that we're just not going to build and that we want to have really strong partners. And so this creates an opportunities for us to work with startups that are going to bring complementary solutions, going to bring solutions that are great integration opportunities with existing SAP technologies, already serving the similar customer profile as what SAP is mm-hmm. and combining all of that together. And when we work together, we can create so much more value for enterprise customers. That's a lot of what SAPIO, our goal is to find these partners and to build out an ecosystem around our technologies and build more value for our customers. 
Awesome. We noticed that SAPIO has a no boundaries initiative around women and underrepresented founders. What are some of the challenges that you've come across, and what are some ways the industry can do better and more for women and underrepresented founders? The SAPIO No Boundaries pledge was created early last year, and this is an initiative around, as you mentioned, bringing women and underrepresented founders into our portfolio. We pledge that by 2023. Forty percent of our portfolio will be with startups led by women and underrepresented founders, and that means we will have worked with over two hundred startups with this type of wow. founder background. And this is pretty much an unprecedented, especially from a large public company, especially in the enterprise software space. Yeah. It's completely different, and something that I'm really proud of. I I joined SAP about two and a half years ago before the public announcement of no boundaries but had already in new york the program that i run we have a hundred percent commitment to underrepresented founders one of the reasons i joined was because that's something i'm really passionate about that's something i've been able to do day one at sapio before we publicly announced no boundaries our portfolio looks very different from what you will see across the board in enterprise software and any corporate VC um, or VC um, portfolio. You know, if women are the majority of consumers and buyers out there, right? the teams of these startups should be representative of this population. Yeah. And why not, right? And a lot of the technologies that are built today are for this wider population and so if the algorithms being built are not being built by people that understand it's also not good for the sustainability of the startup of that business if they can't ultimately be able to build out ai or machine learning or uh, natural language processing software that can predict certain types of consumer behavior or -hmm. predict certain types of world trends or predict um, how people communicate or how from a computer vision angle how things look then they're not going to be able to succeed it's not just the right thing to do when it comes to having diverse and represented team Mm -hmm. but it's also the right and smart business decision as well. Of course, there are a lot of different challenges when it comes to this. Sometimes for underrepresented founders, we see that they do not get the right uh, level of attention from investors, Mm -hmm. even from customers. From a networking angle, their networks are not as robust. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really proud that we created this initiative and created this program where we don't take any equity from these teams on the foundry level and give them a plethora of resources, all free, (laughs) a lot of different resources. And our program is really focused on business development and enterprise sales and introductions to customers 
and yeah. helping them with their technology integration. This is an, potentially a game changer for a lot of these startups because we're able to help them um, on all of these fronts and not take a chunk of change from them. And by the way, when it comes to underrepresented teams, oftentimes mm-hmm. they do have to give up more ownership for a smaller right. amount of capital. Mm-hmm. And not all equity is equitable is a saying mm-hmm. that we've heard. So this yeah. is a great opportunity for um, underrepresented founders. I know a lot of companies' funds are certainly working towards um, the same goal. I know most haven't pledged, but definitely good to hear that SAPIO has this initiative. You touch on some great points, but are there some defining moments that made an impact on your career thus far? I guess a few that you think are, are the most important. Some defining moments of span across my whole mm-hmm. life. Sometimes there are serendipitous moments, and sometimes there are moments that that I pursued and created for myself. So I think when it comes to just career advice, I think mm-hmm. that it is very important to step out of your comfort zone and be unafraid to explore mm-hmm. be unafraid to at the end of your your 15-hour work day go to that networking event right go to that happy hour go to that conference go to mm-hmm. that trade show whatever it is because you never know who you're going to meet mm-hmm. and the relationship and the opportunity that can come out of that Right. And for myself, currently, my role at SAP, SAP SAP.io, I met my manager through a mutual venture capital friend of ours. And had I not just had a conversation, a coffee with him about what I was interested in, we might not be here today (laughs) having this conversation. So it's really about about making those connections and taking in various opportunities and staying curious and not being afraid to ask for what you want Mm -hmm. and to speak about what you want as well. There's a study where, you know, people wrote down what they wanted in the next 10 years and sealed what they wanted in an envelope. There's two study groups, one that did this Mm -hmm. envelope and one that didn't do the sealed envelope assignment. And the people that did the sealed envelope assignment, by far um, more of them were able to achieve the goals that they just wrote down than the ones that didn't, right? So having these far longer term goals also helps you capture things Um, along that journey. And then finally, I'll just say that everyone responds better to people that are kind and Mm -hmm. humble and coachable. So I would just say to stay humble no matter where you are in your career journey because people will respond better to someone who 
has that kind of trait and those are the people that they want to help and that they want to coach and they want to want to root on to succeed as well that's great should we wrap up with our fire round of questions yes (laughs) (laughs) first one is a seasonal one what are you doing to keep yourself sane during this during this time so this time is definitely this whole quarantine time. <laughs> 2020. A lot of, uh, yes, a lot of up and downs. And you keep thinking, well, when is 2020 going to pick up and actually turn into a normal year? It it probably won't now that we're in <laughs> Q4. But right. I think one of the things is it's okay to feel <laughs> yeah. in 2020, to have all the feels and to have up and downs. If you're not having up and downs this year, you're actually probably doing something (laughs) wrong. But personally, to stay sane, it always makes me feel better to be active. And I was very active before before COVID, and I did Mm -hmm. a lot of class pass and Mm -hmm. a lot of these high-intensity workouts. So I continue to do high-intensity workouts from home Home. Mm -hmm. and one thing that I picked up during this whole thing is tennis. And I was mm-hmm. living in the suburbs for, for quite a bit. So tennis was feasible. Yeah. Not as feasible when you're living in Manhattan, but tennis has been something I've re-picked up. And I mm-hmm. love it because it doesn't necessarily feel like a workout. It just feels mm-hmm. like a game for me. Yeah. And there is a social angle to it too, right. which you know we all need in, a, in an era of social distance. It yeah. means physical distance, but doesn't mean that we should socially isolate ourselves either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Tennis is also a socially distanced sport, I assume. So that's great. Yes, that's also the plus. <laughs> what content are you consuming right now? Any books or shows and stuff like that? I definitely have been picking up more books and more content this year. And a book that stood out to me mm-hmm. is Hillbilly Elegy. It's an interesting study of people in the middle states of, of America that are perhaps part of the silent majority that we are hearing a lot about particularly during this season and it's Mm -hmm. interesting because it helps put things in perspective this type of population but I also love that it's uplifting because it's a personal autobiography by J.D. Vance his story of how he came Mm -hmm. from the lowest you know levels of poverty and along the like Appalachian Belt to becoming this highly educated professional and it studies this journey and I like the uplifting piece as well and then TV show I love HBO and I love Westworld because especially some of the technology that (laughs) is imagined and is explored in these shows they're scary. They almost can happen now and can happen in the next handful of years. So I love that it's kind of scary in that sense, but I also love a complex plot and twist. And I love that the robots are winning in, their, in this world. And then 
What is your best productivity hack? My best productivity hack is actually taking breaks. It's mm-hmm. we're all in these back to back calls yeah. every single day, meetings, and honestly, your brain kind of just freezes and stops working yeah. after so many back to backs. And my productive productivity hack is taking a break every 90 minutes, mm-hmm. whether that's just doing something trivial like yeah. browsing social media or shopping online to doing something that's active to eat, having a snack, but just taking breaks throughout the day to cut out the monotony of calls and to reactivate your brain again yeah breaks are definitely needed the last one is what was your favorite thing about berkeley or haas when i was at haas i worked at the women's faculty club next Uh door it's a bit hidden it's between the faculty club and haas but it's this really cute hotel restaurant Mm -hmm. and I worked there as a server and it was so easy for me to hop in and out during the lunch time Mm -hmm. hour and it feels almost like a a secret garden like a cottage house and I love that it was right next to Haas because it's such a different architectural structure and enabled me to also have a great paying job during college to afford a lot of the things that my family couldn't necessarily and I was able to pay for rent and Mm -hmm. a lot of my school expenses I just have such good fond memories of passing by on my way to class or after class and having this balance of this Haas world plus this almost like secret garden yeah bed and breakfast feel yeah I I love that it it is a beautiful place and I do feel like it's hidden but now it's not anymore hopefully people people get to enjoy that that place a little more awesome thanks for coming on today Sally thank you so much Ellen I really enjoyed this session and hope that others will benefit from this as well Awesome. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the One Haas Undergrad Series. And thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed our episode today, please subscribe or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also check out more of our content and subscribe to our monthly newsletter on our website, haaspodcast.org. Until next time, go Bears!